So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Every Tuesday on the regular Nonprofit Mastermind podcast, I do a deep dive into the strategies and the mindset behind launching and leading a high impact nonprofit. This Spotlight is a special weekly series in which I showcase and celebrate the organizations in my Impact Accelerator program. I lift up their mission, their work, and their personal stories of leadership. I started the Accelerator because I believe that one of my purposes in life is to work for and support efforts leading to positive social change. The organizations that apply for and join the Impact Accelerator are truly extraordinary. They're changing our world and it continues to be such an honor and joy for me to aim my experience, passions, and resources at helping them grow their revenue and their impact. This series is my celebration of them. This week, I get to introduce and celebrate South Asian SOAR, an organization working to build a national movement to end gender-based violence in the South Asian diaspora. South Asian SOAR, led by Amrita Doshi, is helping to create a bridge between the urgent, incredibly necessary direct service work, fighting gender-based violence in the South Asian diaspora, and systems level change, fighting the same fight. 
SOAR's mission and work are rooted in the idea that these types of work, both downstream and upstream, must happen in parallel and must inform and build off of one another if we are to co-create a world without gender-based violence. In this conversation, we talk about Amrita's experience as a founder, the intersection of the personal in the political in leadership work, and what it feels and looks like to co-create a movement from the ground up. It's a really great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Amrita. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I so enjoy working with you and absolutely love the organization that you are stewarding through the world and I'm thrilled to share it with our listeners. Welcome. Thank you. Well, it wouldn't be half of what it is without you. So <laughs> So let's dive in. Um, let's start let's start at the top. Let's start with what is South Asian SOAR? What is it all about? What is the change it's trying to bring about in the world? Because it's such a unique sort of approach and model um, that I think is really exciting. Tell us about it. Yeah. Um, I'd love to start with a little bit of history just to contextualize where it comes from. Absolutely. It has a really, which I think the history really pertains to the model and the mission. Absolutely. And and it was one of the most exciting parts, I think, for me to learn about as um, I dug into it. So South Asian SOAR kind of builds on a legacy of, I think, around 30 years of community-based work in South Asian communities across the U.S. So around the 80s that you see this kind of uh, intersection of the anti-violence movement in the U.S. starting, um, you also see kind of the first wave of immigrants from South Asia settling in. And so there's a lot happening. And what some of that culminates into is South Asian women specifically creating a home for themselves outside of mainstream feminist spaces, mm-hmm. also creating a home for the, themselves outside of cultural institutions that are helmed by South Asian men. And what happened in some of those groups is it led to one shared conversation around what kind of was previously referred to a lot as domestic violence now uses the term more broadly gender-based violence. Yeah. And as those groups emerged, they were really centered around like community organizing and activism. Um, But as the anti-violence movement grew, they started to get calls for help from South Asian women specifically and survivors more broadly. But I think at that time, majority of them were women um, who weren't receiving help at the mainstream orgs. And over time, these organizing groups, some of them transformed into agencies and direct service organizations. Now, a really quick fast forward from the 80s to 2020, um, there are 30 of those organizations, 30 or so that serve South Asian survivors of gender-based violence. And Mm -hmm. that is a lot of their primary mission, though they do so many things that are related to that and kind of serving communities at large. But I think seeing that growth is is incredible and also a very interesting pattern. And are they all, they're they're spread out throughout the country? Do they talk to each other? And that is exactly the question that led to SOAR, which is what, you know, what are we, for organizations that are doing very similar things in very similar communities, what does building a movement together look like? And 
when COVID happened and there was a 40%, you know, rise in violence um, and kind of shedding light on, on, on violence as a structural issue and not an interpersonal one, that led to a lot of questions around how do we build a cohesive movement and why aren't we working together? And that is really the question that led to the need for something like SOAR, which is a national organization that convenes South Asian organizations, survivors, individuals, um, and brings them together to think about what is the change that we want to see and where do we see that anti-violence um, movement going? Um, and how do we how do we work towards that together? And how much more powerful and differently powerful, I should say, different yeah. layers of impact. Yeah, you have sort of collectively, in addition to the impact that's happening through these on the ground organizations. Absolutely, and I think that leads to like the thesis of SOAR, which is um, actually a concept that that George, our mutual friend George Settles, offered me, um, which is the idea of just transition and. I think when you have orgs that are doing, you know, direct services, which is really around crisis management, it's about um, kind of, yeah, like um, SOAR is essentially saying, how do we build a world in parallel that works toward change while this crucial work is also happening? And I would say like most of our member organizations, which is how our, our direct, you know, the direct services organizations are in relation to SOAR, most of them are are strapped. And that was really kind of the key finding that led to like, what can, what value is SOAR going to offer to our collective? And it was to create that space to think through and build towards systemic change. This parallel. In parallel. I love that. It's, it's interesting. I was just in a conversation the other day with a woman who used to be the executive director of Safe Horizon here in, okay. in the city. Wow, yeah. And we were talking about this this parallel work of systems mm. and urgent, incredibly necessary, immediate direct service, right, on the ground and what's the relationship. And she she didn't frame it quite so it, – it was just – I love what you just said, this idea of these sort of two parallel worlds being created that inform one another and build off of one another and are both um, important. And I know, you know oh, – Oh no, I was just gonna just like double down on that because it's not it's not a one or the other. It's it's a both. Um, and I feel like that's where the synergy is. And a lot of times people will ask me, like, what's the difference between one of our member orgs and what we do, or you know, what's the distinction? Or there's no better that it's 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 yeah. really about needing to like have both and both of those closely in conversation, because oftentimes you also see those two things separated. Um so how do you keep them in conversation? I think that's one of the challenges that a lot of organizations, particularly young organizations, I will take this opportunity to note, you have <laughs> come tremendously far in a very short amount of time. Um, yeah. It's sort of, you know, this incredibly big, bold mission. But one of the things I think you've done well, and I'd love for you to share, you know, what it's looked like on the ground is maintaining this conversation between the parallel paths and this information flow. Yeah, I actually think that that does like touch on one of our core beliefs, which is like the people who are doing the work on the ground, the people who with the lived experience of survivorship should be the ones guiding change. And that's like what our organization is centered on. So it's kind of like, well, it doesn't exist if it's not happening together, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and I feel like more, more practically, I think that happened by making sure that those individuals 
were at every conversation when we were building the mission and when we were building the vision and the values. And then, you know, we're part of listening sessions or all of that. And it's how do we keep like the community? How do we keep building that? community um and our like relationships with one another and how do we keep um keep creating spaces for that conversation to happen absolutely so tell me a little bit about what soar does how does this mission and thesis that you've articulated translate operationally yeah so we've been doing a lot of reflecting work on this you know with you um as well (laughs) and I think like systems change is like kind of talking a big game sometimes, you know, and it sounds great. People are like, but what do you do? I know, but what is that exactly? (laughs) And I think walking that back, we realized like the most important thing that we can do in like the first few years of building SOAR is like one, bringing those people together as we talked about and then putting the knowledge out there, putting what we experience and know out there for other people to understand because we're not working on systems change in a vacuum either, you know, and we're going to be working on it alongside all of our partners and allies and across sectors, like all of these things. And um, so I think like what that means for us is really kind of like data research and advocacy, but um, can describe a little bit more about like the pillars of SOAR that help us get there. So absolutely. I love a good pillar. (laughs) I know. Really helpful in organizing what can feel, I think, um, complicated to people. Yeah. 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 Um, So the first pillar is really around building this network, right? So as I said, that's kind of twofold. It's building community among the people who are like doing the daily work um, and building um, capacity for them to be able to like advance their work. Pillar two is around um, survivor leadership. And I think that's like not a term I've said so far in this conversation, but is such a critical path towards building that community-based leadership that we're talking about towards the systems change piece. Um, The place that we're starting off with that is survivor storytelling because, um, you know, I think 80% of SOAR's board or 70% of SOAR's board and leadership are survivors. And for many of us, our entry point into leadership was storytelling um, and just saying and naming our stories. Um, And then the third piece, which both of those things ladder up to is really the the research portion. So basically generating narratives, generating data, generating insights um, to help us understand like what is happening on the ground Mm -hmm. and then using that to develop a call for change. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of like summarize, it's the membership piece and uh, capacity building, it's survivor leadership and it's research and advocacy. What I love about that, and I you know, jokingly said I love a good pillar, which <laughs> I think you know I like love a framework and a pillar, but what I actually think is really critical about the work that you and your board have done um, with all of your stakeholders over the last few months um, in clarifying these pillars is that you know, to go back to something you referenced earlier, systems change work can sound wonky, right? When we say to a funder or a partner or just, you know, on a podcast, oh, we do systems change work, people's minds sort of like, okay, great. Yay, yeah, it's so important. But what you actually articulated are three very concrete ways in. Mm. These are the things that we believe, it's a theory of change, right? These are the things that we believe yeah. when 
engaged in together in concert will change this system, will impact the structures that undergird gender-based violence in the South Asian community. And I just, I wanted to lift that up because, you know, also pillar can sound wonky, but it's not like these are really, I think these are really awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, Brooke, I've been in this exercise of like systems change, like it's a big game and it's also a long game. And so like, how do we make sense of what we're doing now and how that ladders up to potential systems change? And like, that might, like, what does that impact mean on a yearly or like every few years? Like what, what are we working towards? And, and I think that has been really helpful to identify as far as like, what are those building blocks? And so I imagine these pillars evolving based on, you know, that, that longer roadmap, which is super exciting. Um, but it also speaks to, I think the newness of our work, the kind of openness to change. And, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to see and how it grows. So tell me a little bit about how you came to be doing this work and sort of sitting at this fascinating intersection of stakeholders and history and this moment in time. And I know, you know, there were a number of co-founders um, that yeah. have worked together and, and, and here you are. What's your own personal journey to this point? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I always love asking founders because I, I think, I mean, when, being a founder, I always love to hear other people's like, origin story and it's just you know how do we come to be holding this space right yeah Yeah. it's so funny because I feel like as I settle more and more into it I'm like oh yeah that part of my life led me here and I didn't even realize it yeah yeah (laughs) um so you know I think from like I, I mentioned earlier in our conversation a lot of people's like entry point into this work starts with like some experience of survivorship and I would say like yeah, personally, that's where it started and immediately had me asking questions about like, well, what does that look like in a South Asian community, in a South Asian family, like growing up as a South Asian woman, like what does that mean for me? And how is that changing how I speak about it, my own belief and my own voice, all of these things. And so that was like me in high school. (laughs) And I immediately sought out, you know, um, I moved to New York for college and, um, kind of, I think within a few months, reached out to Saki for South Asian Women, which is the New York City-based, um, or one of the New York City-based organizations um, that's, the, you know, has been in, around for, for years and has done immense and incredible work in the city. Um, got an internship there. Um, and that's kind of like, yeah, that, that I would say is like my formal professional entry point. Um, of course, after that, I was like, you know, stepped back from the nonprofit world. Um, but outside of that, I was doing a couple things, which I think led me here. So um, through kind of a pathway in mental health and tech, I came to the discipline of like community-centered design and design thinking. Um, which I personally things. find to be such a fascinating thread in your personal yeah. story. <laughs> Not yeah. to given how I've seen how your mind works, but just a really interesting way into this work. Yeah. And I love sharing it now. Like I'm, I'm starting to do that. The other thing that kind of takes place outside of a professional career, whatever, outside of that for me is um, I'm an Indian classical dancer. And so um, a few years ago, I started organizing arts events for Saki, 
where I would bring together young South Asians in New York City to present their art um, as it related to gender justice. And so I was starting to see how storytelling, community, arts, all of these things came together and thinking about like, who else wants to be having this conversation that's not included or not not included, but who's looking for that space, you know? Um, and I would say, yeah, those two things coming together uh, led me to a grad certificate program my capstone project for that. I really wanted to work with Saki. I reached out um, and Saki's ED was like, the thing that we need right now, her name's Kavitha Mera, the thing that we need right now is to be working together nationally. And I said, I will take my design hat, I will take my storytelling hat and um, let's do it and let's build it. And I didn't, we didn't know it was gonna be an organization, like to be honest, yeah. that emerged, which I kind of love. We didn't yes. know like how it would take shape, yeah. um, but yeah, that led to a whole year of work on building just what SOAR could be and then eventually becoming what it is. And I left my other full-time job, which we spoke about earlier, and started working on SOAR full-time. So you're at a really exciting moment. And we've talked about, you know, sort of the political and social history that led to the founding of SOAR, your personal history, the last year of SOAR, really building these pillars and the, the building blocks you, you talked about for really powerful impact. What does that impact look like moving forward? What's on the horizon? Yeah. So the thing that I would probably, I am most excited about that I think is so transformative um, is in May, early this summer, we're piloting a survivor storytelling program where 16 South Asian survivors will go through a four week workshop. Um, I, I can't express how excited I feel um, about I that. Podcast listeners could see your whole like energy and face right now. <laughs> I just like I I don't even I don't even try to put a expectation on what will come out of that. I just believe it will be incredible. Yeah. Um, and like you know that my vision for that in like a five to ten year horizon is the individuals who go through that program come together to co-create what a survivor leadership program looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that is one thing I feel very excited about. Um, and that I am um, a firm believer in manifestation. I know. Just your belief that it is going to be beautiful. I, I believe it too. And I think that will, that will, that matters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other big things that are kind of correlated are really around the advocacy and research pieces. So from all the listening sessions that we've been doing, we're going to be putting out a report. It's called Together We Rise. <laughs> it's voices from the front lines. Also, I think voices that are not out there and information that's not out there. Um, and as a part of that, we just launched our first ever like nation nationwide um, data collection survey. So that's the state of the field, um, which I think will help really quantify like how many survivors are we serving? Yeah. Um, it's a proxy for understanding what gender-based violence looks like right now in the South Asian diaspora, which is like just vastly underreported. Yeah. So I feel like that is a first step. It's like planting the seed towards how we might be able to use data um, to really uplift our advocacy work, to inform a policy agenda um, and to 
and form a variety of stakeholders who care about this work. So, I mean, you know, just going full circle back to where we started this idea of these sort of parallel paths, parallel yeah. types of efforts, talking with one another, communicating, um, working in concert, that is critical for yeah. that. Right. Having people who are impacted by the issue you're trying to address, having their stories be central is critical to that. So it sounds like a lot of what is coming just in this next year yeah. really goes to the core of these pillars. Right. And sort mm. of laying the bricks for those walls. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it'll be so interesting to see what we uncover and like, I'm also kind of curious to see what difficult conversations that that brings up and prompts for us too. And for do you sure, anticipate any of them? Like I do. some of them might be. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I don't know if it's difficult, but I think, I mean, I do know it's difficult actually, but I think, um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is kind of like how our movement relies on or is forced to rely on systems of the criminal justice system. And I think like that is a conversation that is going to be challenging and difficult. And we want to be able to create really honest, um, vulnerable, like kind of, yeah, I don't know, open spaces to have those conversations in. Um, and I think that's like another role of SOAR is kind of helping define what those values are. And again, like to the building in parallel piece, th that's one of those places where it's really difficult to put the long-term and immediate right next to each other. Yeah, that's um, right. And I think that they may not even necessarily believe that they're that the North Star they're moving towards is the same, right? And I think this <clears throat> this idea of of the involvement of the of criminal justice, um, the criminal justice system is just such a great one to highlight because one of the things that I think I hear you saying is we don't know what the answer is. Mm but it is really important that someone holds space for the conversations and that people who are immediately impacted, who may have one perspective and people who are not immediately impacted and are looking 10 years down the line, sort of at, you know, mm. unearthing structural racism and some of the other isms that undergird our criminal justice system. They may have a different perspective. They have to talk to each other or nothing's going to change. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is so exciting. So where can people go to learn more and to get involved? How do they find you? <laughs> um, well, obviously our website. Uh, we have a very tiny and fledgling Instagram that uh, I would encourage people to follow. Awesome. Um, so our website is www.southasiansoar.org. Um, SOAR stands for Survivors, Organizations, and Allies Rising. Um, and... I would say look out for the report that's that's coming up this summer. I think that that's an incredible way for people to just kind of get their feet wet and learn about what's happening on the ground and also learn about what what we're envisioning. Um, I also just like welcome the opportunity to grab a coffee and connect. I think conversation yeah. is probably going to be the best way to learn about what we're doing and exchange mm -hmm. ideas. And a website's great, but it... it um, so can reach out to you? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Amritha at SouthAsianStore.org. You can email me and um, I'd love to chat. Wonderful. Well, as always, it has been just a delight talking to you. I always love hearing about what SOAR is doing. And thank you so much for sharing with us thank today. You, Brooke. Thank you. Have a great day.
Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training that's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, the four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadershipforward321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.